Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, August 3rd, 2015. We are back from Denver, from Aurora, Colorado, from a fantastic, wonderful Pirate Christian Radio anti-conference conference. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to use sound biblical hermeneutics, good exegesis, uh, right Christ-centered theology, proper distinction of law and gospel, to test to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, those self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, and uh, people put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose study materials we need to be studying in our small groups, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or if they're teaching, well, false doctrine, not actually teaching historic, biblical, Christian doctrine, but, you know, becoming innovative in teaching all kinds of strange and weird things, and uh, teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. That's kind of the idea here. Now, last week, the uh, <clears throat> the Thursday-Friday episodes were not able to be recorded and this had to do with just a crunch in my time. And so, you know, we're a little bit behind is the best way to put it. Uh, but uh, what we're going to be doing today is kind of pick up where we left off. I have one more interview that I need to play, and um, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. I had recorded three interviews for last week, and because of the way, you know, the Thursday-Friday schedule kind of worked out for me, I wasn't able to get that in which you know Friday was a travel day and Thursday was the last day of the conference. But anyway, the conference was fantastic. We are working on uh, putting the audio together, and we will be selling it. Uh, and that's what we've decided to do in order to make up a little bit of the lost ground that we had for the conference. And uh, there will be details within the next few weeks as to how you can get your copy of the audio from the 2015 Pirate Christian Radio conference. That being said, uh, we are already uh, planning the uh, 2016 conference, and I can give you dates, and uh, I can tell you generally where it's going to be, but uh, you'll have to wait as we get towards the end of the year 
to actually get all of the details. So if you want to pull out your calendar and uh, start thinking ahead to 2016 and what it is you'll be doing, uh, you know, if we you can make it to uh, North Dakota, Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, it uh, it will be in this area. And it will be the uh, the the Pirate Christian Radio 2016 conference will be on Friday, August 12th, and Saturday, August 13th, the 12th and the 13th of August, and it'll be here in uh, in the North Dakota, Oslo, Minnesota area. I'll give you details as we get. Uh, closer to the end of the year, but if you want to block out that time uh, and start thinking about, okay, well, you want to come to the end, we're going to cap it, just so you know, we're going to cap the attendance at 150, so uh, we're going to start advertising as we get closer to the end of the year, and we'll do it with a lot more advance notice, and uh, we're going to cap the total number of registrants to 150, so keep that in mind. Stay tuned. We'll get you information, like I said, as we get closer to the end of the year. I just want to kind of give you a sneak peek uh, as to what it is that uh, we will be doing. So <clears throat> keep that in mind. So uh, the uh, as far as today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, you know, we got we got stuff we got to do here. Uh, we are going to begin. We are going to begin with a. Uh, a, an end of the world update, if you would, uh, folks. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the summer months there, well, they're starting to come close to an end here. Here it is. It is August third, and, and you know what that means? We're like you know four weeks away from the end of summer, and you know that means fall will be here before you know it. And and well, this is a shemitah year, you know, and and so. Uh, apparently, you know, the Shemitah year and the, this, and the coming Jew year of Jubilee, this, this is all signaling that, uh, we, we've got to go into the seven years of tribulation and we got to do it now. Cause if we keep kicking the can down the line, well, there's like, no, there is no good time except for this time, you know, to prepare for the end of the world. And you're thinking, what are you talking about, Rosebro? Yeah, I know it sounds like, you know, I came back from the Pirate Christian Radio Conference and my brain was melted, apparently, from the experience. But what I'm trying to describe to you is what it is you're going to hear in our Jim Baker show uh, update. Um, John Shorey is going to explain to us why we can't continue kicking the ball down the road uh, in in regards to the tribulation and the rapture, as if we have any control over these things anyway, and how there, you know, in 2015, the September of 2015, folks, we are we are literally like six, seven weeks away from total economic catastrophe, collapse, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, be sure to visit jimbakershow.com and pick up your uh, you know three year supply of. Uh, of uh, prep food, prepper food, uh, you know, in preparation for the coming economic collapse and meltdown that's going to happen. So that, we're going to start off with that. Um, we're going to switch gears, you know, kind of staying under the end of the world update. Uh, there's a, a web, uh, a, not a website, but a YouTube channel uh, put out there by a group called the Informed Christians. And um, apparently they've been to the William Tapley School of um, Prophetic Insights. And um, folks, I mean, if you have not paid attention 
to what has happened in the past few months at the Hoover Dam. I mean, well, it, it's it's signaling the end of the world. It's signaling something prophetic, something significantly symbolic in an in a eschatological kind of sense. We'll we'll play that. And sometime in there, we'll take a break, and then we have a um, an update from Ignite Church. Heath Mooneyhan is going to explain to us five benefits to going to church. His recent sermon is entitled Why Church, and in his Why Church sermon, he gives us five of the benefits of going to church. And, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're looking for good reasons, you know, that you can give to your unbelieving friends as to why they should go to church, well, the Wait till you hear what Heath Mooneyhan has dug up and the research uh, you know, that he's found regarding the, the benefits of attending church. And yeah, yeah, this is the kind of stuff we need to shout this from the rooftops. You know, forget telling people about Jesus. Tell them if, if they come to church, these are the five things that, that they can, you know, expect to get better in their lives. And then we're going to uh, do a vision casting leader update. We're going to listen to Kong Hee from City Harvest Church out in Singapore. Uh, and, and, and listen to a message entitled Enlarging Our Capacity. Enlarging Our Capacity. We'll listen to one, potentially two segments from that particular message given by Kong He to kind of, if you would, prepare you for hour number two, where I will be playing for you an interview that I recently conducted with uh, Nathan Avidan of uh, Sofe Ministries in Singapore. And I have to warn you that toward the end of the interview, the audio quality isn't that great. But I'm going to I'm going to play it in its entirety with the the idea that you know that as we get towards the end of the interview, it starts to get a little sketchy and spotty. But you can still make out what he's talking about, and I think it's important to play that entire interview because we had the the opportunity to discuss. City Harvest Church, the Kong He trial, and uh, Nathan actually has a unique perspective that he's bringing to the table, and uh, and it's ta- basically talking about the um, the responsibility, the duty of older pastors to uh, what duty they have to the younger pastors uh, in Singapore, and it's fascinating because. His point of view, well, it represents something that has long ago been lost in the United States, but I think is you know something you might want to consider that uh, older men have a responsibility to mentor younger men, and uh, he talks about the fact that um, Kong He has uh, been mentored by people who are like not in Singapore at all, and the impact that that has had, uh, you know, regarding the state of the church in Singapore. And as we, as you listen to the interview, you'll sit there and go, wow, it seems to me that uh, what he's describing happening in microcosm in Singapore is happening not just in Singapore, but around the world. So I find, I think this will be an interesting interview for you to listen to. And again, I apologize. It was conducted via Skype, but as we got towards the end of the interview, uh, the uh, audio, you know, his connection kind of got choppy. But again, I'm going to leave it in its entirety, knowing the difficulty, and you can kind of work that out. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're going to be, you know, talking about the end of the world, and folks, I mean, we are literally just weeks away from total economic collapse. At least that's what the Jim Baker show is saying. So that, that, that requires us to do this. Not afraid. 
That's right, folks. It's the end of the world as we know it. As we wind down the summer months, and I know you're thinking, Chris, stop saying that. I want to be able to enjoy what little I have of the summer. I know. I get it. And, you know, funny enough, I'm actually already looking forward to the fall and the change of the weather and stuff like that, which doesn't make any sense. Because here in uh, North Dakota, you know, once we get into the fall season, blizzards are possible. So, you know, I haven't, I have yet to experience a September or early October blizzard, but they have been known to happen here in North Dakota. But, uh, so, so I don't know why I'm looking forward to the change of seasons, but, uh, we'll, we'll just roll the dice and see what happens. But folks, I mean, as we get closer to September, well, you know what that means. It means, well, the Shemitah is about to strike. Folks, the sky is falling. The Shemitah is falling. The Shemitah is falling. And uh, here's <clears throat> um, uh, John Shorey of the uh, Jim Baker Show to explain the coming economic collapse that we are about to experience and the fact that we need to stop kicking the ball down the road regarding the tribulation and, and uh, the uh, rapture and stuff like that. Here's uh, John Shorey to explain. This first question, why do you believe we can't kick the ball down the road another seven years? Yes. The the thought that I'm zeroing in on has just hit me this, this week. Yes. Since I've been here. And, and the more that I've thought about it in the last couple of days, the more I realize that this is really a profound thought of why we can't kick the ball down the road or why we better hope we don't kick the ball down the road another seven years. You know, a number of prophetic teachers have been, oh, I, I don't want to mention any names. No, but, please, uh, but don't. A I'm lot up trouble. Of prophetic now, I, I just have to ask the question. What do you mean stop kicking the ball down the road when it comes to, you know, the tribulation and stuff like that? Um, have we Christians all of a sudden... You know, are are we responsible for when Jesus is returning and we've got to stop kicking the ball down the road? I mean, what about the fact that Jesus said that he's coming back on a day and an hour when no one is expecting, you, you know? So since when did we have the ability to kick the ball down the road in regards to Christ's return? This is weird. ...are in agreement that the seven-year Shemitah cycle it's very important that it's going to coincide with the coming seven-year Great Tribulation. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, well, the yeah, how do you know Jesus' return is somehow keyed to the seven-year Shemitah cycle? Where in the Bible does it say that? The seven-year Shemitah cycle that we're in right now is ending this September. Okay, yeah. we're talking weeks away, yes. literally 
two and a half months, eight weeks, ten weeks. You know, we're down to weeks. Yes. And and we're going to enter, we're going to end the seventh seven-year cycle. And the year following the seventh-year cycle is the year of Jubilee. It will be another seven years before we we begin another seven-year cycle. Uh-huh. So seven more years before we begin a seven-year cycle, right? I mean, we've got it. Folks, it's time for us to stop kicking the ball down the road. It It's time for us, you know, to, you know, um, make Jesus come back now so that it's keyed to this current seven-year Shemitah cycle because, you know, we've got to stop kicking the ball down the road, you know. Another 50 years before we begin another 50-year jubilee, it'll be over 400 years before we see another tetrad of four blood moons on Jewish holy days. Yeah, see, folks, it's it's either now or never, you know. It, so we've got to do something about this and make Jesus come back, you know, now. Because, you know, right now we've got the Shemitah, the Jubilee, and, of course, you know, the four blood moons thing going on. So we we need to stop kicking the ball down the road. Mm. So so it's like many prophetic teachers are saying it only makes sense that the seven-year Great Tribulation will start during the first year of the next seven-year cycle. Yeah, it only makes sense, you know, folks. So we need to do something about it. It only makes sense for us to, you know, make this happen during this current, you know, seven-year cycle thingy, you know. Beginning of that next seven-year cycle is in September, okay? Yeah. So so it's like mm. a number of prophetic teachers are kind of looking for a way out, and they're saying, well, if it doesn't start this coming seven-year cycle, we can just kick it down the road for another seven-year cycle. And I've been saying we can just kick it down the road. We notice that he said we. So apparently we've been holding Jesus up, you know, and, and, you know, we've been kicking the ball down the road regarding Jesus. So we need to stop doing that, you know. So I'm not sure how, you know, I not where is this ball that we've been kicking anyway? And who decides to kick it? It really doesn't make sense. That we can just keep kicking it down the road because we've got too much converging. We not only have all of these cycles that are all coming together, but we've got in the geopolitical, in the global events, everything that's happening, the leaders of our country, uh, I don't even want to go there, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? America is in trouble. So, So the thought that hit me is that if the Great Tribulation is kicked down the road. Yeah, and we better not, ki- you know, folks, it's time for us to stop kicking the Great Tribulation down the road, you know. Another seven years. There are coming events that we cannot kick down the road. That we, are- we cannot kick. So apparently we're the ones kicking the Tribulation down the road. All right. Heading for a global economic collapse, and there'll be no kicking that down no. the road. Yeah, you're right. There are numbers. Yeah, now, by the way, Jesus' words from Matthew 24, 44, I made an allusion to it. Let me give you the verse. It's Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
So here's John Shorey basically saying we need to stop kicking the ball down the road regarding the Great Tribulation and stuff. And saying it's like now or like, you know, it's it, it's got to be keyed to the Shemitah cycles and the the four blood moons thingy. Which basically I'm sitting here going, well, doesn't that sound to me like he's trying to prepare everybody to expect Jesus to show up like soon? You know, apparently Jesus is going to show up at a time when everybody expects him because of the Shemitah. But... <laughs> Jesus said that he's going to show up at an hour when no one expects it. So um, this is weird. And, 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 it, and for those of you out there who've been kicking the ball down the road regarding the Great Tribulation, you know, I, I must send you just a, a strong verbal complaint. Why have you been kicking that ball down the road? What were you thinking? And you people out there who've been kicking the ball down the road regarding the Great Tribulation, you need to knock that off. You know, and just consider yourself rebuked, you know, from me, of course. But we continue. Prophets who are hearing from God, hearing from from, from the Spirit of God. So that- there's prophets out there, P-R-O-F-I-T-S. There's lots of prophets out there supposedly hearing from God. Politically, unheard of events are going to happen in America in the next year or so. Yeah, I can't believe how many... Prophets are getting confirmations that we might not even see another presidential election. So all the prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, all the prophets out there are saying, we're not even going to have another presidential election. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's the point that hit me. If the Great Tribulation is kicked down the road, for another seven years. You better not kick that ball down the road. Knock that off. There are catastrophic events that are going to happen globally and that are going to happen in America that we can't kick those events down the road. So, but we can kick the tribulation down the road, right? These things are going to be happening in weeks to months to the, during the next year. and uh, And what this means is... If the Great Tribulation gets kicked down the road seven years... You better not do that. ...we are going to see the breakdown of America. We're going to see changes in America like we can't almost imagine. And can you just think about us having to go through seven years for the next seven-year Smita cycle? Oh, that, that would be just terrible. So whoever's in charge of the ball... You know, that's supposed to kick off the Great Tribulation. Whatever you do, don't kick it down the road. You know, um, I don't know if you kick it, you know, towards the Tribulation or if you just leave it alone. Whatever you need to do in order to make it so the Tribulation starts, you know, middle of September, you know, six weeks from now, do that with the ball, please. Can you imagine the breakdown of America to where... We literally, you've seen the movie many of us years ago, the Mad Max movies, where there was just total anarchy in America. Right. Can you imagine if things are kicked down the road for another seven years, we can't stop what's going to happen globally. Okay, so you got that? Those of you in charge of the ball regarding the Great Tribulation, if you kick that thing down the road, it's going to be Mad Max all up in here in America, folks. You know, and you don't want it to be, get all Mad Max here. I mean, we've all seen the movies. I mean, it's wow. You know, 
dystopia like you wouldn't believe. So if you have the ball in you know, regarding the great truth, whatever you do, don't kick it down the road. We don't want to get all Mad Max here in the United States. That happened in America in the next year. So that would mean we could literally see anarchy and the breakdown of America that could last for seven years while we wait for the next seven-year Smeeter cycle. Oh, that would be terrible. I mean, it's going to get all Mad Max and, you know, it, cats and dogs living together. It's going to be terrible, folks. So if you have the ball, don't kick it down the road regarding the Great Tribulation. Don't you understand? It's the Shemitah year. Seven years from now, if we have to wait seven years for the Great Tribulation to start, we are in big trouble. None of us have prepared to go through seven years before the Great Tribulation even starts. Yeah, that'd be like seven years on top of seven. That would be like 14 years of tribulation. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> it's like, what on earth is this guy talking about? Yeah, um, the, by the way, I am completely unaware biblically of any balls that we Christians are responsible for either kicking or not kicking when it comes to the Great Tribulation. The question is, what's going on over there at the Jim Baker show? What are they smoking? Well, the answer is they're smoking money. Because by fear-mongering the way they are, oh, it's the Shemitah, the Shemitah's falling, and it's going to be economic collapse, mayhem. We're going to get all Mad Max here in the United States of America if, if we kick the ball down the road again for seven more, because it has to happen in the seven-year cycle thingy. Because the prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, they are saying so. Yeah, so buy food supplies from Jim Baker right now. Get yourself a, you know, a... A, a solar panel generator so that you can survive the great tribulation before the tribulation because now we don't even know. I mean, if if the great tribulation doesn't start in September as expected, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah, we're, we're, none of us is prepared for this inevitability. I mean, this has nothing to do with biblical Christianity whatsoever. Jesus is going to come back when Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back whenever he wants to. And he doesn't have to do it in September of this year, nor does the Great Tribulation have to begin in September of this year. And those out there talking like this, they're basically doing this to make a buck off you. Because that's really what they're all about. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, it looks like we're going to have to go straight to our Ignite Church and Heath Mooneyan update. And then we also have a Kong He update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Ravage them, don't give a hoot. Bring up the audience, yo ho. Yo ho, yo 
Center presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the Biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Finding for the Faith could cause you to think that those out there talking about Shemitahs and four blood moons are teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. Kind of like Chicken Little and the sky is falling. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Yep, time for a Heath Mooney hand update. I'm the Urban Spaceman by Neil Lyons. That's our uh, Heath Mooneyhan update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is, uh, well, from the latest uh, sermon uh, delivered by Heath Mooneyhan. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully he's still in his uh, alcoholic recovery program, uh, although his discipline really was awfully short. But uh, anyway, he, he, yeah, he did get arrested for a DUI. But uh, what we're going to be listening to is from a, a sermon series entitled, Why Church? And uh, so here's uh, Heath Mooneyhan to explain to us from research that he recently uh, read um, as to why the five benefits, if you would, of why go to church. I mean, forget about repentance, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, stuff like that. No, 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 no. 
yeah, when we talk about, you know, selling people on ideas, we talk about with them. What's in it for me? Well, you want to know what's in it for you if you go to church? Well, yeah, Heath Mooneyhan's going to explain. Here we go. Um, and I think it's just going to be a, a, just an incredible time to where we, I just want to talk about the, the church that we're called to be. And um, I, I just believe God's going to do incredible things here over the next few weeks as, as we dive into this. But before we start talking about that, um, I first of all, I want to answer the question today as to, as to why church? Like, why? Why church, period? Um, because I believe that the, the church, the overall church, it's really gotten a bad rap, you know? Um, there's all sorts of things out there that comes out against the church. Everybody's wrapped up in scandals and Whatever it is, people have strong feelings, negative feelings sometimes that's attached to church. And, and uh, so, so why even church? Sometimes, you know, I've even found myself asking that question. Why church? Like, why do I need a church? You know, so, some of us, honestly, if you're breathing and you've been involved in a church before, you probably have stories either it's happened to you or you know somebody's been hurt by church. And so I've experienced pain through church. Not just old church, it's this church. <laughs> so I find myself sometimes going, why church? You know? Now, was- how do you answer the question, why church, apart from discussion of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, talking about, you know, there to hear the word of God, to receive the Lord's Supper, baptism, and things like that. You know, and, and, and you know, basically Christ being there in the places where Christ has promised to be there for us. Uh, you know, so you know, if we're going to talk about why church, I don't think you can discuss that apart from Jesus Christ and being a disciple, being baptized, receiving the Lord's Supper, hearing the Word of God, hearing about the forgiveness of your sins, things like that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, well, let's why why church, Heath? Tell us, please explain. You know, I see a church where it's okay to ask questions. Yeah, it's okay to ask questions. You ever you ever go in places where they make you feel like an idiot if you ask something? You know, I don't, this is not going to be that church. So we just wrestle with stuff. You know, people have insecurities. People have hurts, real hurts, real damage. So, you know, why church? So I figured starting off, should have received a set of talk notes when you walked in. It's got a bunch of blanks and stuff. And so in the blanks, don't worry about it. If you freak out about them, I'm going to give you what to write in there here in a second. So it's going to be awesome. Um, so I just thought I'd start off with like five statistics that five benefits from from church and this is these are done by studies i didn't do any of the research there was actually a guy named uh there was a guy named peter haas uh great 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 pastor of church up north uh he's actually involved in the association related church he was one of their church plants now he's on their lead team but he wrote this book called ferrisectomy it's talking about dissecting church and religion and all this kind of stuff it's great you should pick it up um but he he's into all these stats and stuff and so he's actually done the research, and there's, there's five statistical benefits for those who attend church. Number one, if you're taking notes, is that those who attend church regularly, significantly lower risk of depression. So there you go. Folks, are you suffering from depression? Just go to church, and you have a significantly lower chance of suffering from de- depression. So you want to know what's in it for you if you go to church well. You have a lower risk of experiencing depression. Significantly lower risk of depression. Studies show that those who attend church regularly, I'm not talking once a month, I'm not talking Christmas and Easter Christians. So how exactly do we discuss why church apart from God's word? Why would we lead off 
in answering this question with this. I'm talking to people who attend church faithfully once a week. They're 22% less likely to struggle with depression. Do we? Some people struggle with depression. Yeah, but they're just less likely. It's just a benefit. The second one is this. Uh, they have better life and time management. So do you, do you need to improve your life and time management skills? Well, you have a better chance of, you know, becoming a better life and time manager, you know, if you go to church. Uh, studies have shown that, you know, whenever they start prioritizing their time and involving uh, local church corporate worship into their schedule, they have to re- reassess some things in their life. And, and they go ahead and start prioritizing other things in their life, and they just become better managers of their life and time. And number three, which I thought was interesting, is for kids out there. This is what I'm going to tell my kids for the rest of their lives. You get better grades in higher education prospects when you attend church regularly. I mean, yeah. So I mean, if you're if you're no longer in school and you know have to worry about having your you know school transcript sent anywhere, then yeah, this 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 benefit of church may not exactly benefit you. But good to know for your children and grandchildren. Hey, kids, you know, you want better grades in school. Yeah, Grandma, I really well. You need to go to church. I never even thought of that. Really? Okay. Crazy. The studies show that um, that kids who attend church um, regular basis are more likely to complete homework assignments, and they consistently score higher in math and reading. Just I thought it was interesting. Number four, which this one's crazy, but I like it. Significantly lower risk of death and longer life expectancy. Right. So significantly lower risk of death and, and a longer life expectancy. But don't think you're going to, you know, not die because, you know, the, everybody does. Um, but see, see, the thing is, is this is weird because, you know, did you know that everybody who is a penitent believer in Jesus Christ, literally 100% of all penitent believers in Jesus Christ, they will live forever, eternally. They, they have like zero risk when it comes to the second death. You're thinking, second death? Yeah, look it up. It's in the book of Revelation. Second death is the lake of fire. So, you know, but here, you, hey, you know, if you go to church, you have a significantly lower risk of death and longer life expectancy. How can you discuss this apart from eternal life? I have no idea. I just want to preface this, like, going, your chance of dying still hovering around 100%? Yeah, 100% of everybody still dies. That's right. <laughs> But people who are part of a faith-based community, they just tend to live longer. They just do. It's craziness. Number five is my favorite. And what would that be, Heath? Um, it, a study shows that those who attend church regularly just have better sex lives. Uh, huh. So, that, yeah, better sex lives. So you want better grades, you want to live longer, not suffer from depression, um, you know, <laughs> Things like, you know, things like that. Hey, you know, you need to be in church. Yeah, I got a hanky. I got a hanky, front row hanky. Yeah, I, I wish I had one. Now to wave with you. But check this out. Listen, this is research. The University of Chicago, they did a, a very comprehensive research. I don't know where they found all their subjects. They didn't call me or my wife. But they, they did the study of, of women uh, women who attend church regularly have significantly higher rates of awesomeness during sex. 
<laughs> oh man, yeah. So, do, uh, you, do you ladies out there? Do you want to experience more awesomeness and related to you know? Yeah. See there. That's that's the reason why. So five reasons why you know why church. Well, you know. Because you can experience, you know, awesomeness when it comes to sex. Yeah. Uh, Urban space, man, folks. All right. Now, um, we've got to move along. We've got a, a vision casting leader update that we need to do in preparation for our hour number two interview that we'll be playing with uh, Nathan Avidan of uh, Sofe Ministries from Singapore. And since that's what we're going to be doing, well, that requires us to do this. Slow Slobos Ministry Records and their uh, hit single, Casting Vision, for our vision casting leaders. Now, the vision casting leader that we're going to be uh, listening to today is Kong Hee of City Harvest Church out in Singapore. 
And uh, we're going to be listening to uh, part of a message entitled Enlarging Our Capacity. Enlarging Our Capacity. And uh, this is, uh, wow, just... uh, some amazing Bible twisting going on here. And this is to set the stage, if you would, to remind you about the Bible twisting that uh, uh, Kong he engages in. And uh, this is the gentleman who is currently on trial in Singapore, and they're expecting a, a verdict uh, to come down sometime in the fall. I mean, after the Shemitah causes the world economic collapse. Uh, <laughs> sometime in the fall, maybe October uh, there, there, there'll be a verdict as to whether or not he's guilty of basically, you know, embezzling and misusing church funds in order to uh, fund his wife's secular music career. That would be Sun Ho, and uh, so that you know, we'll be you know, paying attention to that coming down the pike. But um, you know, in preparation for my interview in hour number two with Nathan Avidan of Sofe Ministries. I wanted to remind you what uh, Kong He is all about. So here he is to explain to us that important doctrine from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, on, on enlarging our capacity. Yeah, here we go. By going to Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, and verse 19, and in the Message Bible it says, Yes, we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty, that means the reward, and the capacity to enjoy it. Accepting what's given and delighting in the work is God's gift. Now, you're going to sit there and go, what is he doing? Well, the answer is he's looking for the word capacity because he wants to pour meaning into the word capacity. And he wants to show you that the word capacity appears apparently in the Bible. And of all places, Ecclesiastes, yeah, which, by the way, is a fascinating book. And Pastor Jeremy Rohde's lecture on Ecclesiastes was just Amazing at the Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Just want to let you know that. But um, Ecclesiastes, let's take a look at the beginning of the book, if you would. And uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. And I'm going to read it from the NIV because I think the NIV gets what's going on here. Here's what it says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Talking about the meaninglessness of life and The creation, according to Scripture, has been subjected to futility as a result of our sins. And so the creation is yearning, longing, groaning, and waiting for the revelation of the sons of God and to be set free from this futility, if you would. So, yeah, that's kind of the overarching context of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19 from the ESV. And we're going to start in verse 13, because we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. So you want to know what's going on in verse 19? You need to look at the context to see what's going on, to see if what Kong He is preaching and teaching here is actually squaring with what Ecclesiastes actually says. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 13, I'll read it from the ESV. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. 
Uh-huh. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, so, so shall he go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much, much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy, with joy in his heart. So you kind of get the idea of what's going on here. He's, you know, talking about, you know, that, hey, you know, listen, you know, there's these terrible things that happen to those who, you know, chase after the wind and wealth and things like that. And it's good then for man to enjoy the toil, <laughs> you know, make the best of the toil in which God has given him under the sun in the few days that he has. That's what's going on in this text. But what Kong He has done here is he's gone to the message paraphrase, yet we should make the most of what God gives, both the bounty and the capacity to enjoy it. It says the message paraphrase, chapter 5, verse 19. So yeah, there's the word capacity. And now Kong He by taking this passage out of context from a strange uh, paraphrase, now has the word that he's looking for to create the impression that he's giving a biblical teaching so that he can explain to us what God really means by capacity here. Now, I want you to focus on that. We must have the capacity to enjoy what God has given to us. That means the capacity to accept, to make use, to delight in the many blessings and anointing that God is giving to each one of us. Now, capacity means our maximum ability to receive. Notice he's exegeting the word capacity, which doesn't appear in the ESV, and there's a reason why it doesn't appear in the ESV, because it's not in the Hebrew. So he's found the word capacity in the message paraphrase, and now he's going to dig deep as to what capacity means and how it's important for us to enlarge our capacities, apparently. So none of this is actually built on solid rock. This is all built on shaky sand because he's exegeting a paraphrase out of context with no – doesn't care what the context teaches at all. He just wants the word capacity because this is a teaching on enlarging our capacities. To contain – to withstand and to produce. Let me say that again. Capacity means our maximum ability to receive, to contain, to withstand, and to produce. In other words, the maximum we can receive from God. Now, God has no limits to His blessing. The question is, how much can you receive? The maximum we can contain inside so that it will not leak away. The maximum pressure we can withstand when we go through a stressful time. And the maximum production we can bring out, we can master in our life, 
in the midst of all the difficulty. Now, again, there's no lack of shortage in God. He's full of promises, provision, and power for His people. And the problem is, do we have the capacity to release what He's given to us? Now, go- uh-huh. do we have the capacity to release? Wait a second, you said God is the one who releases. So yet notice, so he's found the word capacity, and capacity apparently has limits. And so, have you enlarged your capacity so that you can receive more from God? Wants to give you all this stuff, but you know, hey, is your capacity, you know, uh, large enough to receive what God wants to give? This sounds a, like a strange form of works righteousness. Yeah, you know, I I, I really want to receive blessings from God, but you know, um, unfortunately, I haven't expanded my capacity enough for you know god to you know really release anything significant and so it's really based upon me and enlarging my capacity so i'm going to capacity enlargement school and uh and you know there's certain things in my life that i that i want to shrink you know like my waistline and stuff but i'm learning through the grace of god apparently to expand my capacity so that god can give me more blessings Right, yeah. Ecclesiastes 5 doesn't teach this. In fact, there's no biblical text that teaches this at all. It's 2 Kings chapter 4, and here is a story of a widow woman. Yeah, so 2 Kings chapter 4 apparently is all about a, a widow woman who, you know, explains capacity to us. Uh-huh. Need of a miracle. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, God was pouring precious oil from heaven. And God told her, bring as much empty vessels and jars as possible to contain them. Now, as soon as the capacity of the jars were being used up, the precious oil stopped flowing. I want you to see in 2 Kings 4 and verse 6. You notice he's not telling the story. 2 Kings 4 verse 6. Yeah, let's take a look at, again, we're going to apply our three rules for a sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared Yahweh. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Apparently this... You know, man of God, who was a prophet, he died in debt, and his sons are going to be sold into, um, you know, slavery, right? So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what you ha- what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Get a whole bunch of them. Then go in. Shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And she did. So it's a great miracle, but it has nothing to do with us expanding our capacities. 
Because I would just ask you this. Has God promised to do this to you if you shut your windows and go borrow a whole bunch of vessels? You know, Is God going to multiply oil in your house so that you can pay off your bills and have some to live on? No, God has nowhere promised you to do this. This is a, this is a one-time miracle, if you would. And it's not teaching us any you know, kind of concept of the importance of expanding capacities in our life. Kong, he is pulling a fast one. And the vessels were all full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not a one left. Then the oil stopped multiplying. You see that? The oil stopped multiplying. Listen, friends, we all want to see increase in our lives, in our business, our career, in our ministry, in our cell group, in everything. We're... We all want to see increase. And uh, this passage from uh, the book of uh, Kings does, has nothing to do. You know, Second Kings 4 has nothing whatsoever to do with you know, God promising to bring increase or multiply things in our lives. For God's kingdom, we want to see multiplication. And it's God's will that we come into that realm of multiplication. Uh -huh. So that's God's will, apparently. Uh, show me that from Second uh, Kings 4, please. But the oil stopped multiplying when she no longer had the capacity to collect it in the jars. Because uh -huh. there really is only a finite number of you know, empty jars you know, that anybody could fill. You know what I'm saying? Verse 7, she came and told the man of God. He said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rats. Listen, church, our ability to solve problems, our ability to live successfully, depend on the inner capacity within us to receive. Uh, so you better start, you know, expanding your inner capacity. And, and you learn how to do that, by the way, with the same way you learn how to kick or not kick the ball down the road regarding the tribulation. Yeah, you can find that in the same part of the Bible, you know. Contain, to withstand, to produce, to give away. The widow was able to pay her debt and to keep surviving for the rest of her life. But consider this, if she only had the ability to keep on receiving, a greater capacity on the inside to keep containing, not only would she be able to experience the blessing of God for her family, she could help others pay off their debts. Uh, see, if only she had gotten more, you know, vessels. Not only would she have been able to live off of you know, the money from selling the oil, but, you know, she could have set up a foundation. Yeah. If, if What was she thinking? I mean, she had such a limited vision. I mean, you, you kind of get the point. I mean, this is, a, this is a form of false doctrine because he's not rightly teaching what's going on in any of the passages that he's touched. And that's kind of the problem with false teachers. They never rightly handle God's word. And they're, they're always creating all kinds of weird expectations that they're putting on people. None of them actually have anything to do with what God's word really says and what God's word really reveals is his will for you. Yeah, so if this was all about us having a bigger capacity inside of us so God can fill us up, you know, then the text would actually say that, but it doesn't. You get what I'm saying. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything... 
you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, my interview with uh, Nathan Avidan of Sofe Ministries regarding Kong He and the state of the church in Singapore. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc., but simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This will be where we normally do our sermon review, but I uh, did not have the opportunity to play this interview last week that I think is very important in analyzing City Harvest Church and uh, what's happening to the greater church in Singapore as a result of men like Kong Hee and Joseph Prince.
Now, like I warned you in the first hour, this uh, the quality of this audio at the end of the interview gets really sketchy. Really, 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 really bad sketchy. And I apologize for that. That's one of the hazards of doing interviews via Skype. And so uh, I would say, you know, normally under I would, you know, I'd delete it out. But enough of it comes through that you can still hear Nathan's points, and I think they're worth hearing. So I'm going to play it in its entirety, knowing that as we get closer to the end of the interview, things are going to get a little sketchier as far as the uh, the audio quality. But uh, this was a fascinating conversation that I had with Nathan Avedon of uh, Sofe Ministries regarding the impact of City Harvest Church and kind of what's led up to it and who's responsible for cleaning up the mess created by City Harvest Church and uh, Joseph Prince and things like that. He has some very fascinating ideas worth listening to. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Nathan Avidan. On the line, I have Nathan Avidan of Zofe Ministries. And Nathan is uh, 17 years in the ministry as a pastor and uh, now in Zofe Ministries, he's uh, focusing his attention on the churches and uh, and what Christ is doing in the nation of Singapore. And I've asked him to come on Fighting for the Faith in order to discuss the Kong Hee scandal and the implications for what that has, uh, you know, in the churches in Singapore as well as the church around the world. And uh, Nathan, thank you for coming on Fighting for the Faith. Yes, it's uh, my pleasure. All right, my so- pleasure. Honored to be here. Yes. To be part of this uh, radio broadcast. Thank you, Nathan. Now, let me ask you we'll start off with the Kong Hee uh, scandal because, you know, that, that's in the news. And I mean, he, even here in the United States, we get news of what's going on in the Kong Hee scandal. But can you tell me, uh, you know, you know do, why is it that, the, uh, that the, the state of Singapore is the one? That's taking the lead in addressing what clearly are, uh, you know, are, are sinful behaviors when it comes to uh, Kong Hee and his wife Sung Ho and their mismanagement and break, breaking of trust when it comes to uh, the finances of their of their church. Why is it that the state is the one in the lead rather than the churches? I haven't really heard a lot of uh, grumbling or rebuking or even warning of uh, Kong Hee and his ministry from churches in Singapore. Is that just because I'm living in the United States or have the churches for the most part remained silent in Singapore regarding Kong Hee? Um, From my lens, Chris, I think that uh, the church fathers that uh, I refer to the older uh, more experienced ministers in 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 Singapore. Uh, in my opinion, from my lens, I think they have uh, they have failed to to uh, to discipline and to repudiate and to to check and to demand accountability from. The younger minister, like uh, like Kong Hee, in terms of how he conducts the ministry, and this is a this is a common phenomenon across the the church in my city. Okay. So I would say I I would point in the direction of the church fathers, those who are older should know better. They are leaders of the body of Christ in Singapore. Why have they so remained there, there, there silent? Is, 
I, 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 one reason I can, uh, one reason is uh, because Kong He has grown uh, in his in his ministry in this City Harvest Church over the last like uh, 1994 until now uh, uh, almost 20 years uh, to to be to become the largest congregation one of the largest in all of Asia at least right so about 30,000 and I think that the church fathers uh, are insecure about this because it's like they have lost the number game okay. you know they themselves. Uh, who who uh, have been in the ministry have not had such large numbers attending their Sunday services, for example. Right. So because of that, uh, you know, they they don't think that they are in that position to correct the younger minister. Okay. So so, so, so they qualify them because of the numbers. So they don't make the numbers, so they disqualify themselves. You know, it's some it's 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 connected with an Asian mindset. It's an Asian mindset, you know, that, okay, it's like, okay, we've lost this game. We've lost the, the competition. It looks like this younger guy uh, has done better than I than us because he's got the largest uh, attendance, the biggest number of people attending his services. Well, so that, that's one big reason that I can cite. Okay, so in other words, they've kind of capitulated to a worldly mindset that basically says that numerical uh, growth uh, somehow means the blessing of God. Um, yes, yes I, you're right. Okay, well, we have the same problem here in the United States. It doesn't sound to me that's an Asian mindset. That might be just a worldly mindset that somehow if somebody's successful, that means that God must be blessing it. Um has I mean, which is really sad to hear because basically they're allowing themselves to be intimidated and silenced due to the fact that yes. uh, that yeah yeah he has a large church, but that because he teaches false doctrine, um, there's yeah. there's just a larger number of people who are not being taught the Christian faith correctly. Am I am I am I understanding that right? Yes, you are right because that would be that would constitute the second reason. Why you know he can still go on and nobody in the city is actually tapping him on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, uh, I think you've got to stop this," or you know, you've got to uh, look at really look at what you're doing and check if it squares with the scripture or does this glorify God. I only know of one other person uh, who who is an elderly uh, minister who did that, who actually. Uh, warned uh, Kong He in his office, but he was uh, promptly told to leave the office. I know of uh, this one minister with his wife. Wow. And he was actually an advisor for City Harvest Church back in 1994 for a few years. Okay. And Kong He uh, uh, did uh, open himself up to this person. I don't know whether I should mention the name. But I, I think I would not want to mention the name just to keep his... Uh, uh, I mean, I hope you don't mind. No, that's fine. But that's fine. Yes, yes. So, yeah. So, uh, this couple is in, in, already in his late 60s. And uh, he was told to leave the office right after he warned Kong He that, you know, get going into the music industry in America is not going to glorify God. Right. You know, he actually spoke to Kong He at, 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 the, at the time that Kong He was deciding to take this 
so to speak, this uh, crossover project and shift it from uh, China and Taiwan to the United States. Right. Now, yes. now, I mean, I, when Sun Ho's video came out, I mean, they paid millions of dollars to produce that that uh, that video, yeah, and that video. and it was it was just you know debauchery. It was absolute raunchy. Uh, was, oh, was there it, any outcry from the from the pastors or oh. or, or the uh, or this, you know the church fathers in Singapore about uh, what this Christian pastor's wife had produced? There was an outcry, but I don't know whether the word outcry would be the right word to describe how they voice their outrage, you know, their, their, the, the, the shame this, that this brought to the rest of us. Uh, and, and it's for the same reason that, that City Harvest Church, under Konghi's leadership, has already, had already isolated herself from the rest of the body. Right. Uh, to the point that nobody could get into this whole into this fortress, Chris. Yeah. So um, while in, at the same time, the netizens, you know, the 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 internet citizens of the internet, they yes. call them netizens. Now the outcry, you know, the real outcry, the pure and raw outcry, could be heard in the words written in the net from the netizens' uh, uh, side. So there was like like thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I dare say there were like hundreds of thousands in total. Okay, uh, of this uh, these uh, outraged uh, feelings and anger and uh, uh, sh- a lot of shame, you know, uh, coming from from people outside of the City Harvest uh, uh, Club. Right. I mean, this this I, I don't want to call it a church because it's not really a church. It's some club, you know, and and these people in the club, by the way, until today, they are still giving this blind loyalty to Kong Hee and telling everybody that, that there's nothing wrong with it. You know, and I'm talking about leaders who have been with him for like since the last uh, 25, almost 30 years. Right. Now, so, you, you bring uh, up something uh, you bring up something very important, though, and that is, is that, you know, you talked about the fact that, I mean, literally Kong Hee has set up a fortress where local pastors and even local Christians have no way of having any input or say in what he does or what he teaches. Um, I mean, is Kong, is Kong, he accountable to anybody who attends city harvest church? Do they have a voter assembly? Do they have the ability to discuss these things and, and, uh, and question or challenge the things he's done or taught? Yes. Okay. Uh, Chris, I can answer this question. Now, in 1994, my wife and I were staff of City Harvest Church. Okay. So, you know, you at least, you know, almost I, 20 years yes, ago, I, you knew what you, you had some saying what was going on there. Yes. I, I, was, uh, I was appointed a pastor for the adult section because most of the church then were actually comprised of young people like from 13 years and all the way until about 18 years or 20 years. You know, so there was just a few, like maybe two or three hundred of, of adults, you know, who were married with children. And I was, uh, uh, for, for that period of time, 1994, I was the pastor. Okay. Who was in charge of how the, the adults' uh, life went. 
And I was also a staff, so I could see firsthand how uh, Kong He and his leadership actually operated. And yes, I would be able to vouch for the fact that uh, basically all who surrounded him was were, he, were just yes men. They were not real men. They were not challenging his decisions. They were not like asking him to validate uh, his doctrine or his statements from the scripture and uh, uh, checking with, with how uh, the word of God is to be applied at the grassroots level. Nothing of this. Because all of them, all of the staff were children, basically, except myself and my wife, who were the only other married uh, personnel besides Kong Hee and his wife. And wow. uh, my wife was actually the administrator in the, for the church at the time, my wife. And, and she could tell you, in fact, she's sitting right by my side right now, Chris, and she could tell you the way that uh, the funds were managed at that time. Okay. There was a lot, yeah, you know, we, and we could, if we could, like, uh, uh, take some time to extrapolate uh, the, the modus operandi of Kong Hee and his wife, as far as finances are concerned, at the time, 1994, and extrapolate to what has happened now, culminating in this uh, scandal, this trial, then we could see that, okay, nothing has changed in terms of how they use their funds. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there was very little, if no, accountability. It sounds okay. like, it, it sounds like yeah. in a sense, they kind of set up a cult of youth. Um, where you, you're, yep. you're basically describing a scenario where a bunch of young, and I mean young men, uh, you call them boys, you know, uh, the, the, who don't have real world experience in ministry over yep. a long period of time, don't have real world experience in the corporate world, yep. and they have no real doctrinal, uh, you know, depth to them at all. Uh, and so they've created a cult of youth, uh, where these young men are, they refuse to actually listen to anybody who's older or more experienced. It's almost like they set it up on purpose so that, you know, men who have experience, men who are older, men who are doctrinally sound would have no way to, uh, to bother them or to, uh, you know, get in their face and, and challenge what they're doing. You, you, it, it, you think it was intentionally set up that way? I, I think so because, uh, okay, I can, I could share with you that, there were there was one time that Kong Hee actually took me uh, away, brought me, you know, alone. He spoke to me and told me that, you know, we are we are we are to just uh, don't we are not to associate with the old older people, the old gods. Really? Yeah. Okay, I, I mean the ex yeah the exact words uh, would uh, I, I don't want to uh, to to quote his exact words because. Uh, it would sound, it, it's not nice to do that, you know, Chris. But uh, but if there was any older person that he would want to be accountable to in Singapore, older ministers in Singapore, these older ministers will have to like, uh, will, will have to like dance to his tune. You know, so the moment wow. he senses, he detects that, they are not going to like like support what he thinks he wants to do or his plans or his agendas then he's going to slowly back off and and kind of like 
distance himself from from these guys. So for the longest time, uh, Konghi has been accountable, as he claims, uh, using the word accountable, to people outside of Singapore. Right. Like for example, Phil Pringle, for the longest time, he's been associated. I used to be the, the, the hospitality minister in 1994. I used to be sent and to rent a Volvo, uh, a big sedan car, and then to drive these ministers around and from the hotel and back for the service and take them for a nice buffet lunch and etc etc right you know and you do you, do you, you know uh, i used to have to take care of robert slearden have you heard of robert slearden i'm i'm not familiar with him no okay robert slearden uh, was also a, a guy uh, who's known to have a prophetic ministry okay okay uh, robert with an s and slearden is l i a r d o n and uh, he was pretty close with uh, Kong Hee uh, in the starting uh, years of this uh, city of church. I'm talking about like 1993, 94, 95. Okay. Until it was found out that Robert Slayden was gay, then uh, they stopped getting him to come in. But Robert Slayden was pretty supportive of Kong Hee and uh, he was vouching for him as, as a rising man of God in Singapore and uh, uh, you know, and um, yeah, Robert Slade. And the other guy would be Ulf Ekman. You heard of him? He's from the Word of Life in Sweden. Yes, I've Ulf heard of Ekman. him. Yep. Okay, okay. Now, Ulf Ekman was one of the very few ministers from outside Singapore who spoke some good words to Kong Hee and his wife. For example, he cautioned them as to this drivenness that the ministry had, you know. Yeah, uh, Kong Hee is a pretty driven person. He's driven to 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 be successful and and you know uh, wrongly defined. Okay. You you know it's just getting the numbers. And for for some time during those years, uh, the formative years, 1993, 94, 95, you know he was always talking about a vision of having ten thousand people in his church. You know that that kind of vision. Yeah, he wants his numbers. He's always been like mad about numbers okay okay and 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 i mean believe me because i was staff and even the way that we operated the the cell groups i had to to lead about like 15 cell groups you know all adult cell groups and every night i would be preaching in the different cell groups every night you know and and i was just newly married then and i didn't even have we didn't even have time to build our marriage Okay. So there was a lot of drivenness, you know, everybody was driven driven to perform, to work hard, to get numbers, to call people and to invite them for the service and blah blah blah, you know. Yep. And and uh, it was so fast, you know, these guys who came in to deposit the word of God, you know, I would not doubt that they brought good words, good messages to teach the the fledgling church at the time uh about Christ, and, and uh, there were good people who came from overseas. Right. But there was free time given for the children, for God's people, to actually digest the word, to assimilate the word into their lives, and to apply it in their marriage and in their, in, you know, to, out, to see the outworking of the word that was, that was uh, imparted to them. Right. Because of this spirit, he's a very 
driven man, very driven. He's not led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. He's driven by this, this mad, ungodly zeal to want to be the biggest and the best. And, you know, you know the, the, this, this perfectionistic thing about him. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So now here's here's kind of my concern, you know, and I have a lot of them, and that is is you know I, as I watch the uh, the the broadcast from City Harvest Church, uh, you know, on the internet, they broadcast on YouTube. Um, it's clear to me that they have a you know that the majority of the people attending the church are very young people, late teens, early twenties. <laughs> Yeah. There, I don't there, see yeah. anybody in in uh, in you know sitting at City Harvest Church who has gray hair or wrinkles um, or is mature. It it really is an appeal to a, a younger crowd. The thing is, they're not being taught the truth. They're not being discipled with any depth. Um, this yes. this does not bode well for the uh, for the church in Singapore in the long term because. Um, you know, they've basically captured the youth and have guaranteed that moving forward, uh, the church is going to be shaped by them, um, because they've captured the younger generation. What do you think the long-term consequences are of Kong He's, uh, style of ministry and, uh, and the impact that he's having on the church in Singapore? I think biblically speaking, biblically speaking, the long-term effect, which is already which is already happening as we speak, is that there will be there is a, already a breakage of the continuum uh, that must that is uh, uh, you know uh, ordained of God. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Continuum is you know what is being transferred from the from the fathers to the sons. Yeah. So, so if we, if and and the pro, one of the main serious problems that the ministers in Singapore have is that we are all isolated and we are doing our own thing. We are just running the flocks and our own congregations mm-hmm. according to what we believe is right. So it's like you know they they don't really believe in the fullness that there is one body, yeah, there's one Holy Spirit. You know, there's one church that Christ. Uh, sees our city having. See, so we are pretty disintegrated, in fact, very disintegrated because we have been isolated uh, through wanting our own agendas. So what this translates into is that there is a breakage of this continuum that, uh, uh, that we, uh, from my lens, I look at uh, Hebrews 12, for example, said having, you know, uh, knowing that there's this great cloud out of witnesses, mm-hmm. uh, let us run the race, you know, uh, laying aside every weight of sin and so on, you know, and, uh, you know, so there is this breakage where not only does, uh, what has, what, what the early church fathers have received is not transmitted to us, but, uh, we, we, we have already come to a state where we are concocting our own version of the gospel which has nothing to do with the true gospel. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, I cover I cover manifestations of that all over the world where, you know, men getting up, you know, they they're vision casting leaders and what they preach has nothing to do with what God's word teaches and they wouldn't know the biblical gospel if you actually were to tattoo it on their arm. They still wouldn't know where to find it. 
Yes. So, so, so the, so these children, like in City Harvest Church, you are right, Chris. It's like 90% of them are young children and they are ignorant. They all come from like, uh, Buddhist families or, or, or Hindu families or Taoist families in you know, the Chinese religions. Uh-huh. So they don't know, they, they don't know how to interpret the scripture. They don't know the Bible. They don't have any kind of, you know, uh, uh, basic knowledge by which they can discern or check what is coming from the pulpits. And they are not even encouraged to check whatever is coming from the pulpit. Uh, so they just, they just swallow everything lock, stock and barrel. Yep. And they become like yep. Christ said that they become doubly a child of hell. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. then, then before, than ever before. See? So, so this is what's happening right now that uh, my, 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 my city, you know, we are not really, we don't have the gospel. And that is a frightening statement that I'm making. I mean, yep. most people, yep. uh, most of my contemporary ministers, you know, they just look at me blankly or they roll their eyes, you know, when I say that, look, we don't have the gospel. We have missed a lot of chunks that, you know, these are the quintessential elements that constitute the gospel and we have compromised a lot of these elements, thrown it out the window and we've got our own version of the gospel. Look at Joseph Prince and that's the third thing and that's, in my opinion, this Joseph Prince hyper grace message is the worst of them all, Chris yeah. Rosenbro. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's as dangerous as they get. Very dangerous because at least this guy is being spanked by even the natural government. All right, he's getting something there, you know, some crisis, but not him, not Joseph Prince. He is just flagrantly refusing to 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 discuss with. You know, uh, other men like like you know, there's this man that I'm now. He's a veteran. He's a church father. Uh-huh. I consider him a church father, and uh, I I could tell you that you know he's uh, uh, also part of the Love Singapore Network, and he uh, has spoken with uh, Joseph Prince, and 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 you no, know, and kind of cautioned him as to where he's going. But till till today, Joseph Prince has not budged even an iota in terms of looking uh, at what he's preaching. Right. And recently there was this guy, you know, he's a Messianic rabbi, Messianic Jew. I forget his name. What's his name? Brown. Michael Brown. Michael Brown. Yeah. Michael Brown came with a few of his guys and actually uh, sought to, uh, a, a time, some time with Joseph Prince to, to, to challenge him on some of, on this doctrinal stand of his. Yeah. And he was flat refused. And the reasons were quoted from Joseph Prince's staff that, oh, because we don't want to argue and break the unity of the church. And, you know, it's just, just so, so wrong. And it's like, this is just not true. Yeah. Well, uh, by teaching it. false doctrine, he's broken the unity of the church. Uh, Jude is very clear yeah. that it's the false teachers who are the ones who are dividing the body of Christ, not those who right. want to stand on the truth and and yes. contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Yes. So, okay. So, so going back to your to, to your question. So, we are we 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 are in a mess. Yeah. I I I just don't know how to to say, it, you know, succinctly, but we are in a mess and the church fathers are not doing what they ought to do. They're not taking these young men to task. 
and I'm talking about Joseph Prince and Kong Hee and yeah. sitting them down and, 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 yeah, and administering the discipline themselves. They should be disciplining these young, young ministers. Yeah. And, and warning, these young and warning the young about yeah. the, their deceptions. What, you know, why aren't they doing that? Yes. That's right. That's right. So, so it's just going to, it's like there's this, the deception is going and it's not being stopped. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, yeah. um, you know, if, if the tri- the trial is going to wind up sometime in the fall, I mean, here yes. in, you know, in yes. like uh, September, October is going to, you know, it's going to wind up. What happens yes. to City Harvest Church if Kong He is put in prison? I think, I mean, um, I, I can only uh, answer that question from what I know. Uh, I think that uh, his wife is going to take over the leadership, the reins of the running of this uh, City Harvest Church. Oh, no. With the, with the same the same cronies uh, who've been with them all these years. Yeah. His wife is going to take the helm. Right. It's not like Scripture forbids women from being pastors or anything, but okay, so, wow, that's, you know, they're going to go from the frying pan into the fire. Wow. Okay. So let me let me ask you 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 know you have Zofe Ministries and it's clear that you see that um, that if there's going to be any kind of fight for the truth then it's going to have to come from the men in the older generation and from the uh, the church fathers in Singapore yeah you know, you know, what what's what needs to happen if there's going to be any chance of uh, of there being some kind of a contending for the gospel and the true Christian faith and uh, what are you doing to work towards that end? Uh, well, I, I, I think my first task would be to alert the fathers to their rightful duty and their role and responsibility in, in taking leadership in this matter of uh, disciplining the younger generation ministers. I need to alert them because it is evident that they don't see... The that's their task. That's their assignment. Okay. That's their responsibility. So, and I'm having an, it's an uphill task for me. All right. Because, uh, I'm, you know, I, I, it's so hard to, to get to them, to talk with them, to like, uh, even get an appointment with them because they just keep themselves so busy. Uh, and they don't want to, to interface around issues like this. They just want to mind their own business, you know. They want to, they say they're very busy, they've got to take care of their flock and so on. And and I think that it's because they don't see the one body of Christ. They don't see that we are all part and parcel of the one body. Right. Right. And furthermore, furthermore, it's this one man show. It's this Roman Greco mindset that's in the fathers that, you know, they are the man of God. They are the visionary and so they've got to, you know, they've they've got they are the man for the hour and so on. So they don't they don't see that the rest of us do carry graces from the Lord that are essential for the growth of the body. They don't see it. They think that they are it. You know, they they are the ones who will will dictate. They will uh, dictate as to how the church is run, and uh, you know, everybody is put in the in their in their congregation. Because they've got a vision from God and everybody is duty bound to help that man of God to 
fulfill the vision. So, so, it's so it, it sounds like a lot of these men have already bought into the same error, you know, uh, the, as far as church yes. structure that uh, Kong He and Joseph Prince have bought it. So they're not going. They're not going to say anything against these Absolutely. against because they're doing the same things themselves, just on a smaller scale. Yes, you know, and to some extent, I must say that uh, that. Uh, these fathers have been greatly influenced by ministers from the West. I'm sorry to say this. No, you're right. You, know, you don't so, need to apologize for that. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, we've got a westernized version and uh, type of the gospel of the of Christianity, and and you know it it's just so sad. It's just so sad because uh, 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 if you if you understand the history of Singapore, how it began, it actually began in rejection, uh, Chris, in 1965, when Malaya at the time rejected uh, our the, the 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 political founder Lee Kuan Yew uh, uh, from being part of Malaya. So we are just a small island, but we are independent. We became in independent as a nation 1965 so we were born we started out in rejection we are rejected people so there's there was a lot, lot of insecurity in the political leaders from at the start and if you understand you know how the church and the city are actually dynamically there there's some parallel connection you know uh, i've i've written a book called church at city and uh, in that book i've tried to to, to uh, what do you call it, to explore and explicate uh, what I call an apostolic perspective of city transformation. So uh -huh. in that book, I also explain how uh, the, the condition of the city is a reflection of the condition of the church. You're right. And also, yeah, so when, if the church does not deal with, uh, with, its, with her own sins, then those sins will never be get dealt with at the city front. Right. Uh, you know, so, so stuff like that. So maybe I, I, I'll try to see if I can get the book to you. I've written a series of books. It's called Documents of Reformation. And uh, the first one is on church chasms. I call it church chasms. Uh, and this book actually uh, explains why we need to return to the radical definition of the word church. Uh, and, 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 and I explain the ramifications of, of that radical definition. For, for example, and mainly, I talk about church as the people of God called out of, uh, out of the world, out of darkness. Yep. So if we just go by that kind of a definition, then it will throw, off, uh, throw out a lot of our methodology or our church operations presently, which is based on this subconscious definition or understanding of the church as uh, some physical location. Right. So, you know, you know, pe people often say, you know, we go to church, you know. So I always tell people there's no such thing as you go to church. You are the church, you know. So, so, so that's the first document. And then the second one is what I mentioned earlier is church at city. And I try to explain how elders come about, what, what, what these, these uh, church fathers or the five uh, four ministers, uh, ministries, how do they fit in and, why they are so vital, you know, the foundational ministries of apostles and prophets and why they are indispensable in the building of the church and so on and so forth. And, and how do we uh, uh, 
uh, deal with uh, uh, bringing the God. How do we bring the kingdom of God into into the city? And the third the third book, uh, the third document of Reformation is entitled uh, Church to Kingdom. Uh, and in that book, I describe that we have passed gone past the church age, and uh, we are now in the kingdom age. You know, like Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fourteen that in the last in the uh, the, you know that the and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness in all the nations, and then the end will come. So, so I talk about that a little bit. But, but by and large, what I'm trying to say is that our methodology uh, is really a precipitation of the theology that we have gotten over the last three or four decades. Yep, gone by and. Of the theology that our the church fathers in Singapore have have uh, have received and lived by have come from many of these ministers, largely from the U.S. Yep, yeah, the U.S. You know, and like for example, Rick Warren, Rick Warren, and uh, you know, uh, A.R. Bernard and Ed Silvoso, and a lot of these ministers, and I have. Uh, I have sat with the chairman of the Love Singapore Network, and I've told him that look, we've got to, we've got to parent the people, the children in the the national church ourselves. We can't subcontract it to other people who are, I would call them like they are the aunts and the uncles. Uh-huh. You know, so so the illustration I use is like like my family. You know, I'm I I've got two children. They are Vera and Via. And I'm I'm the I'm their dad, and and my wife is their mom. So I, as their father, I've got a whole list of duties and roles that I need to perform so that they can grow up as a whole person. And I can't I can't uh, uh, delegate that those uh, uh, roles and responsibilities to my own brother or my or some friend outside. Right, and we do all the time. We don't take responsibility for how our children are growing. You know, there's no real fathering taking place uh, in in the church in Singapore, Chris. There's no real actual fathering. You know, like Paul and Timothy, Paul yeah. and Titus. Uh, you know, so because of that, there is a great chasm uh, that has yet to be bridged between the older and the younger generation yeah no and that's this yeah it's also got to do with this asian mindsets of us that the gospel until now has not adequately addressed simply because they are not looking at it and they don't see that there's any need to address it to address these cultural sins that we have you know we don't we don't repent even accurately you see like let me give you an example you know we have uh, like, for example, there's another church called the Trinity Church. It's an Assembly of God church. And, and you know, the way that they collect uh, uh, the tithes and offerings, you know, they, they use this. this they, every year, they have this thing called the Chinese New Year Ang Pao for Jesus uh, collection. What? You know, this Chinese New Year. Yeah, yeah, really. You know, and, you know, they can they can collect in one meeting more than a million Singapore dollars, Chris. I kid you not. Wow. Okay, we are going to collect an Ang Pao for Jesus today because it's Chinese New Year season, right? And they don't, they, these people, you know, have not been told that 
you know, the traditions that they are they have been practicing even as Chinese Christians are, are wrong. They've got some, they've got, uh, they, they, they are demonic issuances if you study the history behind these traditions. Right. Like the kitchen and, and you know, they don't, they don't talk about, they don't talk about real issues. They, 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 we sweep things under the carpet, Chris. We sweep things under the carpet so yeah. we don't actually deal with our hurts, you know, like, like when, like we teach, like, you know, when a couple conflict resolution, you need to, you need to say what hurt you. Yeah. You know, if your husband did this, so you need to say so that the husband will know that, look, okay, so now I know that when I say these words, you are hurt, you are offended. All right. So I can repent, you see, but no, we don't do that as a, as a general rule of law because we, we still follow a lot of these Chinese traditions and, and, and we, we allow these Chinese traditions to be practiced because God is love, you know, and, and it's okay. But it, they yeah. don't see that it's affecting our repentance and our entrance into the kingdom of God. Right. And, you know, yet, we don't and yet Jesus tells us that, you know, that we're to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. That would include Singapore, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, you know, you name the nation. Everybody needs to hear the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And that's, yeah. and that's like the missing message everywhere now. Um, you yes, know, brother. You know, you know, they, you it, know Graham, Sorry, sorry. Now, sorry. nobody talks about, you know, very few people talk about repentance at all. And what you're describing is, you know, kind of, you know, you know, with this Chinese New Year thing that they're doing. I mean, this is what the, the secret driven churches are doing as well. They're basically using darkness to be the thing that attracts people to come to their building and they're calling it church. Yes, exactly. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. You know, this year, uh, Chris, we are celebrating the Jubilee year for our nation. Okay. Yes. And, and, uh, and also just recently, like two weeks back, we, we had this gala national event that more than 50 over thousand Christians assembled at the stadium. And our prime minister was the guest of honor and, uh, and everybody, they were just singing and all. And, but, no one stood up to connect the word jubilee to that event. So, you know, you, you just walk around the, uh, amidst the crowd and ask them, why is this called a jubilee day of prayer right. for Singapore? And 10 out of 10 of them are not able to answer. They don't know what jubilee is from Adam. They don't understand these concepts. Yeah, You know, our church fathers and leaders don't, deal with these basic issues like in Hebrews chapter 6, you know, repentance from dead works and, and you know, and eternal judgment. These, these things are not there anymore. Yeah. We don't have a sense of God. We don't have a sense of eternity. We don't have a sense of the kingdom of God. We don't have a sense of holiness. You know, it's just like some corporation. It's multinational. I mean, it's these churches are being run like secular corporations and the church senior pastors uh, CEOs, nothing more than that. Yep. You know, yeah. So it, it's very sad. We, I'm, I'm really broken by this, Chris. I'm really broken in my heart. I, I think that, um, you know, that God is really very grieved. God is grieved. The Father is grieved. Yeah, and and the the result of all of this is going to be a lot of people. 
uh, spending eternity in hell having lived yeah. you know within miles of a church that was supposed to be preaching the gospel but wasn't yes that's right you see so there's no uh, preaching of wrath and judgment repentance yeah. the sin you know repentance from sin yep and you know our sinful condition and 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 uh, there's no uh, you know and uh, yeah you know they they believe that they just tell people to come up to the altar and pray a sinner's prayer, and then everything is going to be fine. They've got their eternal insurance all covered up. You see? Yeah. You see, I, I, yeah, you know, I, this is just utter nonsense. It's rubbish. It's not from the scripture. Yeah, you know, we we don't. Yes. 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 Go on, Chris. Yeah. No, it it's it just it it doesn't bode well for the future. And you know, here in the United States, I mean, obviously, you know what's happening here. I mean, our, the Supreme Court of the United States just took it upon themselves to change the definition of marriage, as if they have the authority to do such a thing. And uh, and there are many so-called Christian churches who you know, celebrated the Supreme Court's decision. You know, all in the name of Jesus. And and they're ordaining you know impenitent homosexuals and you know and women and lesbians and transgendered people. They're you know they're putting them in the pulpit and calling them pastors. And uh, what what? But this didn't happen overnight. This all happened as a result of the fact that decades ago the church stopped doing what it was called to do to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and and started getting involved in other things you know there's only so many hours that you can spend in a day doing things and rather than calling people to repent and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ they instead decided to fight the darkness by you know becoming overly uh, you know, involved in politics as if somehow fighting, you know, fighting darkness with politics is going to, you know, win the day. But the reality is, is that impenitent sinners who are dead in trespasses and sins are incapable of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And if we want to see society change, then we have got to get back to preaching Christ and Him crucified for our sins and calling people to repent and to be forgiven and discipling them with sound biblical doctrine and in-depth biblical teaching. But uh, these corporations that are masquerading as churches, they're not into doing that because if they were to actually preach the biblical gospel and call sinners to repent, then their profit share would drop. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I know. I know what you're saying. They're not going to, going to get as much tithes and offerings, right? Because they, they, you know, preaching the real gospel is a sure uh, guarantee to lose the crowd. Yeah, real preaching of the gospel is going to uh, uh, cause the preacher to to lose the crowd. You know, it's not going to attract the crowds because. No one, I, I don't see anyone when I look across my city who wants to hear about repentance and seeking God for God's sake, you know, for, for, right. for, 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 for there's nothing to talk about the glory of God. So there's no jealousy for the, the actual truth. You know, nobody's wanting to crack their heads and break their heads over words and looking at the interpretation of the scripture. And so that we can really look what the divine message of the gospel really is. Because right. it's only by that that we are the human soul is saved, as Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is 
the power of God. So anything that is not the gospel, it's another gospel, it does not have the power of God. So yes, I agree. Everything that you have said, and I think that, you know, that we are already in that uh, Matthew 7, 21, 22, as far as ministers are concerned, that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name and done many wonderful works in your name and, uh, uh, you know, and drove out demons in your name. And Jesus said that he will, he will tell them that I never knew you. You are lawless and wicked and, you know, and workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So there was never a, a relationship. There was never a true walk with God that could never, ever happen without repentance, without looking at our sin, looking at the holiness of God and, and, and you know, and looking at our sin at the same time. Yeah. So we are not looking at it. We are not dealing with it. This is the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, we, are, we, are, we are the most sinful nation in Asia. You know, in my opinion, Chris, in my opinion, my nation is most deceived in all Asia and the most sinful. Wow. And I live in anguish. Yes. I, I you know, I'm not a good preacher. I will tell you that, you know, I, I'm not afraid to admit that. I, I stutter often. And maybe it's because, you know, because I get so excited inside of me, I, I just stutter and mutter often. But I, I can write. I, I've tried to put this in writing. And I'm pretty good with uh, small groups. Uh, and I do that. You know, I talk to small groups and try to alert small group of people who are also seeing that something is amiss uh, in our nation and especially in church in our nation. Yeah. So, but really... I'm in anguish, and I will say again that Singapore, you know, 1978, I wanted to tell you this earlier. In 1978, Billy Graham came to our nation and in evangelistic rally, he actually spoke this word he said that Singapore is the antioch to Asia. Right. And so it has got an antiochal purpose uh, in the greater scheme of uh, cosmic plan. And, uh, but but at this point, when, when, I, when I look at this, uh, so to speak, this thing, uh, you know, what is sounded out from Singapore, the church in Singapore, is not the gospel. It's another profane fire. It's, it's, it's a wrong message. It's not the message of the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. He may be reconciled to God. It's not anymore. It's something else, and not message totally different from the original uh, uh, message, the apostolic faith. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, and we, we still believe that, you know, that we are, we are doing God a favor. We still have this. There's a lot of talk. We are the Antioch of Asia, and, you know, we are... Oh, we are we're taking out a lot of missionaries and we are taking this nation and that nation. And, uh, you know, we have pumped a lot of funds into the missions and all, but really the spirit is already wrong. It's very wrong. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Well, Nathan, we're, we're drawing to, uh, my, you know, the end of our interview. And, um, and so I wanted to thank you for coming on, uh, fighting for the faith and we will be praying for you and Zofe ministries as you, uh, try to reach out to the city fathers and, you know, the church fathers, uh, there in Singapore and, uh, and open their eyes to, uh, to the deception that has overcome Singapore 
And uh, we will be praying that you will uh, be strengthened and emboldened in your contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Yes, thank you for praying. We we really need that, you know, people uh, everywhere to pray for us. I love my nation, Chris. I love uh, the church, and I'm here to to see, you know, to hear from the Lord as to what uh, I should do and uh, with the rest of my team. So I really thank you, Chris, for allowing me this opportunity. And thank you also for praying for us. God bless you. Thank you. Lord bless you as well. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.